I would just run basically as fast as I could for as long as I could. And even though that was the wrong way to train, it felt amazing for me because for the first time in several years since my diagnosis, I found that I was in control of what my body was feeling. If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. And welcome to the first episode ever of Runner Clicks, the Passionate Runner Podcast, where our only mission is to provide you with insider tips and inspiration to breathe purpose and passion into your next run. I'm your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of the motherrunners.com, a resource for moms who run. This podcast is brought to you by Runner Click Pro, a private community of passionate runners. If you like this podcast, please rate and subscribe to help us grow and inspire more runners like you. Today's interview is with Runner Click Pro running coach Evan Wood. Evan and I both serve as coaches for Runner Click, and I wanted to kick off the podcast with Evan because of his energy and his overall love of running. And because Evan has a super powerful running story. So Evan is a certified running coach with his business, just another running coach and a filmmaker featuring inspiring runner stories. Running has had a profound impact on Evan's life. As a kid, he struggled severely with Crohn's disease and asthma. He was certainly not someone you would expect to become a 254 marathoner and a running coach one day. But running found him, or he accidentally found running, and the rest is almost history. Flash forward, and now Evan coaches runners in the New York City area. He has run more than 20 half marathons, has a personal best marathon time of 2.54, and he chronicles inspirational runner stories in this documentary series called Just Another Runner. And today we chat about the mental strength that we gain from running and how it can help us overcome challenges big and small, no matter what life may bring us. Evan talks about how running has empowered him, how it's given him confidence, and it has kept him motivated in all areas of his life. So I can't wait to get started. Okay, before we jump into this week's interview, here's a quick word about Runner Click Pro, immediately followed by the full uninterrupted interview with Evan Wood. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. Runner Quick presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. Hey, everybody. We have Evan Wood on the show today. Evan, I'm so excited for you to be our very first interview for this podcast because when I think of Passionate Runner, I think of you. So welcome to the show. Thank you very, very much, Whitney. It's a, it's an honor to be here. Super excited to be a part of this and uh, very excited to have this conversation. So first, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? All right. So my name is Evan Wood. Uh, I'm an RCA certified running coach, a level one certified running coach. 
I'm born and raised a New Yorker. I'm a native New Yorker, and I'm currently based here. Never left, as uh, some very proud New Yorkers do. Grew up in the heart of Manhattan. And although running was not part of my early life, I discovered it later on. And by day, I'm actually a filmmaker. I'm an editor. I work in production, so I work on set on various things like movies and commercials. And, you know, I am also a running coach. So doing a lot of things and uh, excited to be here. So what was it like growing up in New York City as a kid? (laughs) I always joke to people who didn't grow up in New York, it's probably sort of like what they imagine, but not completely. You know, non-New Yorkers tend to have this idea of New York as being either like a fairy tale childhood or a dumpster. And so I always say it's somewhere between a fairy tale and a dumpster. But and... it must be more like a fairy tale if you stuck around, right? Yeah, you yeah. I mean, live there your whole life. Yes. One could say many things that are challenging about living in New York as an adult, as a working adult, and especially as a freelancer. You know, the rent is too darn high, as they say Mm -hmm. here. Um, But I love New York. It's it's one of the most diverse places in the world. It's one of the most free-thinking places in the world. Um, Obviously, it's convenient for so many things. And for for an artist, it's really hard to beat in terms of uh, the culture that's just at your fingertips any given day. You can go to a museum, a world-class museum. Uh, one day you can see an amazing show the next day. Uh, you can go to a public park and, uh, you know, participate in some really cool cultural activity from some country in the world that you've never really learned anything about. So being in New York City especially has just been a fantastic life for me, especially as a filmmaker. I, I can really, at the end of the day, I can only say very nice things about it. I grew up in a shoebox in a one-bedroom apartment with my parents and my older brother and a cat. So very, very crushy in terms of the space. Uh, but at the end of the day, wouldn't redo a thing. It's really, I've been very lucky. One-bedroom apartment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was a time when, you know, my brother and I were little. We're five years apart, but believe it or not, we were growing up. There was a time when the four of us all slept in one bed. You know, that's that is it sounds surprising to a lot of people, I'm sure, who are listening to this. But in a way, that's uh, New York City living. You know, that's sort of lower, lower class or lower middle class New York City living. So that's that was not abnormal. You probably knew other people in similar situations growing up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, growing up, you go to each other's apartments, you know, elementary school. I went to a lot of my friends' apartments growing up. And there were some apartments that were even smaller than mine. Some of my friends grew up in studio apartments. And, uh, you know, what was really cool growing up was I knew a lot of UN families because I live right near the UN. And so I got to know kids from all over the world, uh, learn about a lot of different parts of the world from an early age. And, uh, you know, it's a trade-off, absolutely. My girlfriend is from central Jersey, grew up in the suburbs, very different kind of living. But, you know, when, when I tell her about how I grew up, she's always like horrified. Oh my God, you know, I could never do that. I could never imagine raising a family that way. To her shock and dismay, I always say, you know, it wasn't too bad. I could kind of see myself doing that someday. <laughs> but that, I can only say that well, once What is what twice. you know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But it's what you're used to. So I have two kids who are little and we often end up like the two dogs, the two kids, my husband and me all in the same bed. That's how it is. 
I don't hope that they're teenagers and that's still happening. <laughs> it's already a little too crowded. But so one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the show was, or me especially, was First of all, I love watching the videos that you contribute to um, Runner Click Pro. It's so uh, you're you are so well versed in running, and your passion just like you just emanate passion. And then I went back and read your backstory, and it's so it's so. I mean, I don't know any other better word to but to describe it, but inspiring. I mean, so you say that you running found you or you found it by accident. Can you tell us more about that? Because it's, I mean, it's really remarkable when you think about everything you went through as a child that you are this super successful runner and running coach. Well, I really appreciate you saying that. Uh, You know, it's, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. Really happy to be sitting where I am today, but it didn't start easy. So you know, if I really think about the beginning of my running journey, I would say it goes back to when I was about 12 years old. And when I was in seventh grade, uh, I'd actually found out that my father had been diagnosed with advanced metastatic kidney cancer. He had been, you know, somewhat sick and showing symptoms for years, but he was afraid of going to a doctor. And so when he finally did get looked at, unfortunately, it was at a stage that was so advanced that, you know, they basically told him that he had six months to live, I think. And as a kid, you know, there's a certain amount of, as a 12-year-old kid especially, there's a certain amount of denial. There's a certain amount of, well, you know, dad's going to be fine. Dad would never pass away. Dad would never really, really get sick. And my dad growing up was the stay-at-home parent. I was really lucky in the sense that, you know, my mom, (laughs) my, my dad was a really awesome, interesting guy. He was a teaching artist. He was an artist his whole life. For better or for worse, he was an amazing stay-at-home dad, but he could never really hold down a job if his life depended on it. My mom was the breadwinner for my family growing up, and she worked you know, at a desk job where she basically made a living. It wasn't necessarily anything she was super passionate about, but she, she did what she had to do. And then eventually, she kind of got fed up with doing that job, and my dad uh, had this great idea to work together uh, as teaching artists. And so they went around the five boroughs of the city here to all the public libraries, and they basically taught a miniature version of the style of art that my dad had been doing for most of his life, which was recycled technology and art. It was a form of mixed media called retech, where they would take boards of styrofoam and all these little things like buttons and zippers and beads, things that would normally just go into a landfill, and they would help kids imagine what kind of sculpture you could create with all these materials. And it was an amazing opportunity for kids to use their hands, to get busy with their hands, and to create a world of their own. It was a great confidence builder for a lot of these kids who were in, you know, marginalized communities, underfunded public school districts. And I grew up in that environment. So I grew up in an environment of my dad telling me, you can do anything you want to do, follow your passion. And so my dad and I had a really, really close relationship as I was growing up. So unfortunately, when he got sick, he didn't beat it. He did pass away. Uh, He fought it really hard for nine months. And I don't even think that he ever thought that he was ever going to lose that fight. But eventually he did. And the way that it happened in the end was just so stressful for all of us. But my way of 
uh, coping with that stress was to internalize things. And especially at the end, we actually, we took care of him at home during his last couple of weeks of life because we felt as a family that he would rather be surrounded by his art and by us rather than being in the hospital. And, you know, people have differing opinions about this, but that's what we decided to do. No real regrets about that. But it was a very stressful experience for me. It was at that time, just after he had passed away, that I began to feel these really sharp stomach pains. It took months and months of this, these repeated symptoms where we weren't really sure what the issue was, why I was having these stomach pains. I went to my doctor. He said he had a feeling that it was Crohn's disease. But we had all just assumed, no, it can't be that. We have no history of Crohn's disease in our family genetically. We just chalked it up to stress. And eventually, after about a year of no answers and the symptoms just seeming to get worse, I got a colonoscopy. I was referred to somebody at Mount Sinai Hospital. And that's where I met Dr. Keith Benkov, who would later become my gastroenterologist and my first, you know, sort of unofficial marathon coach. I did have Crohn's. You know, things didn't get any easier. I had a real resistance to taking the certain medications that they wanted me to take. A part of that was because I was trying to be strong for my family, strong for myself. Um, I was also just trying to, like, remember to do my English homework, you know, as an eighth grader. <laughs> it's not, not easy either, by the way. Uh, I was socially awkward on top of everything. You know, I was... 80 pounds, uh, which was really, really in the, the lowest percentile for my age. You know, things were, things were tough. If I take a step backward for a second, the story actually begins just before my father passed away. In the summer, just before my father passed away, I had this opportunity to, uh, as a part of being on my school student council, to go for a week to an island in the Bahamas where there was a sustainable living campus. And normally, my family would not have been able to afford to send me on this trip. But because of the circumstances, my parents thought that it was probably best that I got some time away from home. And I thought that I was going for a beach vacation for a week. You know, this was my reward for being active on the student council. What it really was, was a lot of <laughs> physical, manual volunteer work in, you know, in August in the Bahamas with no internet, with no TV, no creature comforts. It was, it was hard work. I guess I was too afraid to complain. Uh, and the other students, they were a little more vocal than me about their surprise with what the trip was really about. But I really did enjoy my time there. And as I was leaving, um, somebody from the school had said, hey, look, we do a semester abroad program for high school students. We think that this would be a really great opportunity for your son we would consider giving him a huge, you know, generous financial aid package to attend here later on. And years later, I was given that opportunity. At that point, you know, just to fast forward through, you know, a few more things that were challenging for me, I finally started the medication that my doctors had wanted me to take. I had kind of gotten over this, like, self-reliance, this ego that I had of just trying to tough it up, tough it out. And uh, I went to the island school in the Bahamas. Uh, for those who are not familiar with the island school, it's a sustainable living school on the island of Eleuthera in the Bahamas. And it's a 100-day semester. No phones, no internet, all that same stuff I said from earlier, but it's a whole semester of it. And no phone time. I got 20 minutes of phone time a week to call my mom, tell her, hey, I'm alive. 
And it's a bit like Survivor. Uh, it's a, you know, people say, often say, oh, it sounds like a reality show, like Survivor. And it was kind of like that, but it was school. You know, our classes were out on the beach, underwater. We all got uh, scuba certified. Uh, it was really an amazing, life-changing experience. And part of that experience was that every student had to do either a four-mile swim or run a half marathon. Now, <laughs> on the, the first week of the program, we all did a swim test to see if we could swim. And I did what any native New Yorker would do, and I failed the swim test because I never really learned. <laughs> and, I, and I grew up with asthma, so I, I was definitely not going to be able to do that. And so therefore, my only option was to learn how to run. It was very challenging, but long story short, that is how I got introduced to running. And by the end of that semester, I completed the half marathon. I started out as one of the slowest students in the school. And it turned out I had finished as the, the third student to finish the half marathon by the end. And I'd run something like a 146. And it was way beyond everybody's expectations, including my own. And from that moment on, my health dramatically improved. Pretty much everything in my life dramatically improved. I really credit that one experience at the Island School uh, with so much in terms of the direction my life has taken in the last 10 years. So how, how do you think that happened? I mean, so when you were training, did you have issues with your, with your stomach? Did, was it hard to breathe through it? Were you on your inhaler the whole time? And what was the tipping point for you? Absolutely. Yeah. So for those who are unfamiliar with Crohn's disease or IBD in general, uh, IBD stands for inflammatory bowel disease. And there are two forms of it. There's Crohn's and there's ulcerative colitis. And so Crohn's is essentially basically anywhere in your intestinal tract or anywhere in your digestive tract, all the way from the top, top to bottom. I'll put it that way. <laughs> um, spare you any TMI. You can either feel bloating, sharp pain anywhere in your stomach, um, you can have diarrhea. There's a lot of uh, not-so-fun symptoms. And uh, it's basically your stomach thinks that whatever you're eating is actually bad for you, no matter what it is. It can be very healthy. It can be very bland. And the white blood cells, your, your immune system just wants to attack everything. So it attacks all the healthy stuff in your gut, essentially. So running while feeling that, as you can imagine, is kind of tough. Um, I also grew up with asthma, as you mentioned, so I did run with my inhaler at the very beginning. But there were a couple of things that I thought really helped me turn it around. One was the medication that I was on. Obviously, a lot of it comes down, right down to science and medication and, you know, listening to your doctors. And so that was a huge piece of the puzzle. But I think the other thing was having something really physical to release stress. And when I say that, when I started running at this program, I was running as fast as I possibly could. I had no sense of pacing. I had no sense of endurance. I had no sense of the distance that we were supposed to run. I would just run basically as fast as I could for as long as I could. And even though that was the wrong way to train, it felt amazing for me. Because for the first time in several years since my diagnosis, I found that I was in control of what my body was feeling. And it was not just my body just deciding to turn on me. It was me deciding to feel what it's like to exert effort, to 
uh, release stress. And for whatever reason, you know, I just felt the symptoms gradually begin to subside throughout that semester. And as the training distances got longer and as I got more fit, I started regaining a lot of my body weight that I'd lost because of the Crohn's. And I, by the end of the semester, I really just wasn't having that same, the same stomach aches that I was having at the start. And you mentioned too, that when your father passed away, that you were internalizing a lot of the pain that you were going through. So do you feel like that was also part of what this, this transformation that you were able to release that pain as well through the running? Absolutely. When I was in high school, very few people actually knew that my father passed away. And even fewer people knew that I had been diagnosed with Crohn's. And I would kind of go into a corner whenever I had to take my afternoon dosage of my medication. I used to be afraid of swallowing pills. And of course, ironically, one of the first drugs that I tried taking were these huge capsules, these gigantic big blue capsules that you know, for anyone who's afraid of swallowing pills, that's the, that is not where you want to start. Uh, but at the time, that was kind of my only option. So I used to open up the capsules and put them in yogurt or pudding or something like that. And I used to hide it. I used to hide in the corner. I used to say, oh, I have to go to the bathroom during a class. This semester program at the Island School, in a way, it represented an opportunity for me to have a total reset socially. And just in terms of the way that I was open with people and the way that I was internalizing. Because every day going to school, trying to almost sort of just pretend that this aspect of my life just didn't exist. You know, everything is fine. Everything is normal. I'm a good student. I'm a good friend, whatever. That was just feeding into this sort of internalizing, this bottling up. And there's a vicious cycle with that. So one of my goals when I went to the island school was to try to be more open with people. But, of course, that's really hard. Even when nobody knows each other uh, going into this program. All the students come from different schools all over the country. So no one knew anything about me. No one had any pre-existing notion of who I was. Yet, I still kind of struggled with being open. But there was one amazing moment really pivotal experience that happened about 35 days into the semester. We used to have these community meetings where all 48 students would be in a circle and we would share our thoughts, feelings about anything that was going on with the semester, anything that was stressing us out, any ideas that we had to organize to do something fun. And at the very end of one meeting, one of my classmates stood up and said very bravely, I would like to invite everybody to come with me to honor my mom who passed away one year ago to tomorrow, uh, help me throw flowers into the ocean. And I was completely taken aback by this. It was shocking to me that somebody could be so courageous and be so open with so many people at one time. And I felt an instant connection to my classmate. And I vowed that next day that I was going to start being more open and tell my story. And one of the silliest things that I did looking back on it, symbolically speaking, was I used to, believe it or not, I used to have flowing long hair. I realize this is a podcast and no one can see me right now, but I used to have really, really, really long hair, long enough that I was able to donate it when I got it cut. I asked a classmate of mine, can you give me a short haircut? For the first time in my life, I had never had short hair my whole life. 
I was mistaken for a girl my whole life in elementary school, middle school. I said, you know what, I'm going to, this is my way of symbolically cutting off the past. You know, I started telling people, look, this is who I am. This is what I'm dealing with in my life. These are the stresses that I've been dealing with. And everyone was just so supportive. Everybody was so understanding and no one treated me any differently other than people just continue to show me kindness and respect. And it was amazing. It was amazing. And I was so lucky to have that support system. It's that kind of support system that I would later find in the running community. And part of that is why, after I came home, uh, when I had this opportunity to run the New York City Marathon for the first time, I just found that, wow, this really reminds me of that, that special thing that I had. And I want more of this. And so, you know, that gets into a whole other thing. But, but yeah, that's basically how I was able to do it. It was that, that experience, yeah. Yeah, I would say, I mean, when I go running with friends, like everything is on the table and we are so real with one another. And, and running is, it's very, it's a very supportive community, but it's also, you're vulnerable. I mean, you're, you're giving it your all, you're putting yourself out there through the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and I think that when you go running with people, like my run friends are my closest friends. I mean, more so than people that I've known my entire life. Cause you just, you get real. So I think that's like another thing. If there's something running can teach us, I think that's, that is one thing that life is just more beautiful when you're real and you put yourself out there and you're vulnerable because that's the only way you can truly connect with people. And that's, and when you're going through tough times, I mean, you need that. You, it's you can internalize it only for so long. Part of it was just discovering that everybody else had a story too. You know, at the island school, my other classmates, everybody had gone through something. Everybody shared that one student's courage opened up not just me, but everybody. At that moment, we, we had become something more than classmates. We had become like siblings. We had become really, really close like family. And uh, you know, just like you said, in the running community, I mean, the first year that I started training for the marathon, I was running for a charity team. In fact, actually, the charity team headed by my uh, gastroenterologist at the time, Dr. Benkov, at the team was called Team IBD Kids. It still exists today, and um, my brother is fundraising for them this year. You know, I had met so many other people who, who were experiencing so many similar things, like not just with Crohn's, but, you know, people who had, had overcome all kinds of adversity yet they were pushing themselves and they were, they were feeling empowered and inspired to literally go the extra mile, to do something extraordinary. So, yeah, I mean, some of my running friends, like you said, are, are some of my closest friends and I can relate to them and speak with them on a level that, you know, people who I've worked with in the film industry, I just don't have that connection with. I think running is very symbolic. Like you said, you literally are pushing yourself and going the extra mile, but it's also so many people do it because it teaches them to quote unquote, that they can do hard things. I think that's why there are many people who have these overcoming type stories like yourself, because from where they teach themselves from running that they can, they can beat the odds. And so it seems to me like it wasn't like running cured you of your ailments, but it just somehow like switched something in your brain to not feel it as much or what do you think happens because i mean obviously your pain is was very very real um probably so much so that it would be hard for you to do just everyday things 
there was a time where, and it's, it's crazy for me to think about it, uh, because fortunately right now I'm really healthy and I feel fantastic. But I mean, when, before I discovered running, but before all this, uh, and occasionally here and there, I would be hospitalized. I would have to go to the emergency room and I would end up spending three, four days, maybe a week in the hospital, uh, not being able to eat solid foods having trouble sleeping at night just because I was constantly in pain. You know, even after I had been running several marathons and half marathons and, you know, and improving my times, you know, on paper, you would think, wow, this guy's really healthy. You know, he's really got it together. He's really overcome Crohn's disease. He's beat Crohn's disease. But the truth of the matter is, is, you know, I had major surgery uh, one year ago, last year. I had to have two feet of my small intestine removed because it was just so diseased from years and years and years of underlying inflammation. But I would say that the number one lesson that I learned in my early running years was life can seem so out of control sometimes. For a long time when I was younger, I was so angry and I was so upset with the universe because I felt that my dad, who was like my best friend, was taken away from me. You know, why would that happen? Who, why, why, why should that happen? you know, to me or to anyone, really. I had known other kids growing up who, you know, their parent had passed away. And, you know, it always just upset me when my dad was just nothing but kind and, you know, amazing and supportive. So then, you know, why should I then get the double whammy of now I'm diagnosed with Crohn's disease, a chronic uh, disease I'm going to have for the rest of my life? Why should that happen? What's the meaning of this? But what I learned was that sometimes life is just it's out of our hands. You know, things happen. Things happen. And what can we do? We can still work hard. We can still believe that we don't have to be defined by what happens to us. It's about it's this, you know, classic Rocky quote. It's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you get hit and can get back up. And I love that quote because I found that despite what was going on, even despite the, the day-to-day challenges of just being a New Yorker and trying to make it in the film industry, if you work hard, resilience can be rewarded. So running is such a great example of that. We, we train and we put ourselves through the ringer and we, our bodies literally get stronger from doing that. And we're able to push ourselves even harder than before. We're able to do things that we never even imagined we could do before. I was such a frail kid. I never imagined in my entire, possi- all the possibilities of life that I would ever be able to be strong enough to finish a marathon, let alone run it in under three hours. I grew up in my fourth grade teacher ran the New York City Marathon. And I remember that. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, why would people do that? That's so difficult. These people are so hardcore. It's just amazing what, what you can achieve, even if it's not running, if you're a composer, if you are a dancer, if whatever you're doing, if you're a writer, if you really, really just devote yourself to something and find the joy in it. I loved running for so many reasons. I loved that endorphin feeling you get. I loved the social aspect of it. I loved the way that I wasn't competing against anybody else. I didn't have to worry about comparing myself to anybody else. It was just about trying to be the best version of myself. And I love the way that everybody supported one another. So I think if people remember, no matter how difficult life can get, no matter what it can throw at you, if you work hard and you're resilient and you find the joy in what you're doing, you will 
almost definitely be rewarded for it. Absolutely. I mean, so many people say that running in particular is a metaphor for life. And so I think that, you know, as our bodies are getting stronger, it calluses the mind as well. And those opportunities when things don't go your way, where your quad, you know, cramps up in the last like six miles of the marathon, or it's raining, or your stomach is a mess or whatever, and you just focus on what you can do and see the choices and even the difficult situation that, you know, I I can finish this race. It may not be my time goal, but I can still finish and be stronger and better for it. Or I can drop out, you know, and all, and no matter what the situation is, seeing the choice and seeing that whatever the outcome, you can still get stronger. I mean, we, we gain so much from running, even when things don't go our way. And I, I truly believe, and I think you do too, that the mental fortitude that we garner through this sport bleeds into all aspects of our lives. It's not just like, oh, I, I can tough it out for my 23 miler, you know, and just, it's just like siloed into running. I mean, it's, you, you get that perseverance through everything else that you do. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, after the island school, I got accepted into NYU film school, which was my dream college. It was my dream school. Uh, it was my top pick, and uh, it couldn't have worked out any better. During my senior year, when I was in production for my you know, senior thesis film, I had this really ambitious uh, script that I had written, and it was inspired actually by a memory from my childhood when I was 10 years old. My dad helped me set up a little stand, a paperweight stand, literally in the middle of the busy streets of Manhattan, selling these little paperweights that we had made out of these old bolts, metal bolts, and we had glued little fake gems to them. So I had all these child actors, and it was a really like long script for the number of shooting days that we were normally allowed to do with the equipment that we could rent from the school. And it was this close to breaking me. I mean, really, like <laughs> as, as much fun as it is looking back on it now, because I was really happy with the way the film came out in the end. Filmmaking is a lot like making a sausage. It's like a really messy process. You don't want to know what goes into it, but it's really delicious and it's a great product in the end. I was this close to breaking. So many things go wrong in the process of making a film, but the one constant that I had throughout that whole period of time was I always made time to go for my runs. My running time was my stress-free time where I could disconnect from all the chaos that was going on in my life at that moment. You know, I didn't have to worry about, oh, did this location fall, fall through? Oh, is this actor not going to be able to do this day that I asked them if they can shoot because they have to be in school? Are we going to be able to get these last scenes or is it going to rain every day of the shoot? I was always able to get my run in and it was so important for me mentally to be able to clear my head and gain the confidence. I had run the Brooklyn Half Marathon in the middle of the shoot and just something as simple as running a half marathon and pushing yourself to the limit. It just made me feel like I was on top of the world and I could, I could conquer this film. And in the end of the day, I did. Barely. <laughs> it was a close one. It was, it, was, it was a close call. But yes, no, I mean, there's something so valuable about running. And it's part of the reason why I was able to, to stay motivated to run during the pandemic. It just made me feel like I still had things together. I still had my life in order, which I think is so important. It's such a great facet of running for so many people who don't necessarily focus on time goals who don't necessarily focus on doing something bigger and better than before. For a lot of people, it's just that thing, that activity they love to do. 
and it helps them feel like their life is in one piece. Oh, 100%. It's, yeah, it's the whole inertia and it, it gets the momentum going and keeps you going. It's so important for mental health. I 100% agree with that, especially now since I haven't been able to run for four months. So I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling that. I can't imagine what that's like. After my surgery last year, I, I couldn't run for four weeks. And that was honestly the longest period of time that I ever had to stop running. And four months just sounds like an endless tunnel. Yeah, and I still have a couple months ahead of me, but you know. But how great will it feel once you're able to finally run again? Oh, amazing. Amazing. Like you're talking about the runner's high and the endorphins. Like I think it's a gift that I will be able to feel that process again of feeling like I'm getting back into shape and my fitness coming back and not worrying about time goals and just going out there and doing it just for pure enjoyment, zero pressure. It will be a gift. I cannot, I can't wait. I mean, I have to wait, but I can't wait. So let's talk about how you were able to become a marathoner. What you you said, your doctor happened to be your marathon coach. How did that happen? Yeah. So I came back to uh, New York, back to the States from the Island School and uh, everybody was shocked. Not only did I have a haircut, but I was tan, I had muscles for the first time in my life. And, uh, you know, for a very, very brief period of time before I socially screwed up again at school, I was like the most interesting man in the world. Uh, that lasted about two weeks. And then I asked a girl out too soon, and then everything just went uh, to heck. But I went back to the doctor. Uh, they were shocked that I had gained so much weight, and in a, in, a, in a good way. He looked at me and he said, you know, you've been coming and cheering me on while I run the New York City Marathon every year. And this is a tradition because uh, my doctor had been running the marathon. He's actually one of the streakers, so-called streakers. So the New York City Marathon has a list of people who have run the most New York City marathons uh, ever since. And they've held this list ever since they began doing the New York City Marathon. And I think he has 32 finishes officially. And he's been running the marathon since the late 70s. So he couldn't wait. When he heard that I ran a half marathon, he was so excited. It was like the number one thing on his agenda. Ask Evan about if he wants to do the New York City Marathon and then look at his chart, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, so he looked at me. He said, you want to run the marathon this year, don't you? I said, absolutely. Let's do it. Absolutely. Next thing you know, I'm training with a group for the first time. I, I'm feeling great. I'm doing these crazy long runs. It's awful. It's hard, but it's so much fun at the same time. And, you know, this snowball of confidence just keeps rolling and building up. And, um, of course, two days before the marathon, it gets canceled because of Hurricane Sandy, which had made landfall in the Northeast just a few days before that. And of course, you know, this was devastating to so many people, not just runners, obviously, but so many people who lost their homes. And of course, all the runners were, they were devastated in their own way, as, as anybody who has been planning to run the New York City Marathon would be if it gets canceled two days before. But what was really a special experience for me was this Run Anyway New York City Marathon had kind of materialized at the last minute in Central Park. And it was really cool. I actually recently got to meet and interview the guy who founded the Run Anyway New York City Marathon, uh, who put together that event. And he's a super nice guy. But I'll never forget that morning, I wasn't even ready to run the marathon. I had accidentally kind of pulled a calf muscle in the week before. 
I was really doubting my ability to do it, as you know, a lot of first-time marathoners will do. But something told or me, or any just, marathoner, really, <laughs> or any marathoner, absolutely. I'm part of me is doubting it a little bit this time, you know. Are you running next next? Week? I am. Yeah. Oh, you so, are. Okay. So awesome. yeah, uh, fun end of the story. Uh, spoiler alert: this this is me my eighth New York City marathon. So I've I've run it every year since the year after the the hurricane. But I went to Central Park anyway. My mom was like, "Why don't you just go to the park? Just see what's going on there." So I lace up my shoes. I go to Central Park, and I start a run. I'm about six miles in, and uh, as I'm going up Harlem Hill, which, you know, for those who are unfamiliar with Central Park, is like the biggest, scariest hill in the park, I see my doctor running up the hill in the distance. And so I catch up to him, and together we run for a couple minutes, and it was so awesome. It was so awesome. You know, he's, he's very busy, so we didn't really get to run together in training very much. Suddenly we were together and it was this sort of, um, you know, one in a million moment. What were the odds that we would just find each other doing this? We didn't coordinate to do this run together. And after a couple of minutes of running together, he told me, all right, go ahead. You're faster than me. (laughs) Just go ahead. Because he didn't, he, he wanted to do his own thing solo, but he was very happy to run into me. Uh, And so that experience was so awesome because thousands of people still came to Central Park just to spectate this fake marathon. And no one knew where anybody was progress-wise, so everybody was cheering as if it was your home stretch, as if it was your last mile. And I had that energy the whole time. I said to myself, if the real New York City Marathon is anything like this, I definitely want to do it next year. And it turned out to be even better than I could have ever expected. And... uh I've been doing it every year since, and I intend to do it every year until the end of time. That's awesome. I'm so excited for you for next week. That's awesome. So I got to ask your running coach, how did you come up with the name for your coaching business? Just another running coach. Yeah, you know, I just figure I'm just probably the worst coach in the world. So what's a very fitting name for a really mediocre coach? You know, I'm just someone else. I'm just some coach, just another coach. Yeah, just another running coach. That's it. No, I mean, I'm not I'm not claiming to be the world's greatest running coach or anything. Um, but as a filmmaker, one of my goals after graduating from NYU was to take my love of running and my passion, you know, career as a filmmaker and create something that combined these things. And in 2016, I had this really amazing opportunity. And I've been really blessed, honestly, including today. You know, having my opportunities to tell my story has been so, such an amazing opportunity. You know, if it just connects with a couple of people out there, a couple of young people with Crohn's or whatever, um, and it inspires them, that just makes me feel like I've, I've done everything I can hope to do in my life. You know, I'm feeling really satisfied. But I really wanted to make a film project that was based off of this experience that I had in 2016. In 2016, the marathon people chose me to represent the borough of Manhattan in this thing, this race within the race of the New York City Marathon called the Foot Locker Five Borough Challenge. And they basically select one runner from every borough of New York, New York City, and they compete against each other at the marathon for citywide bragging rights. So... I was selected for Manhattan, and part of being selected means you get to share your story. These are all runners who have overcome some form of adversity in their lives. So I got to share my story to an audience that was larger than I had ever been able to before. And I thought, what about all the people who didn't get the opportunity to share their story? What about everybody else? 
And the video that they had made was, you know, it was like a two-minute package or something. Very short. I said, I know how to do this. I have the equipment. Let's go do it. Let's just, I don't have the, <laughs> I don't have a slot on ABC, but you can create a YouTube channel and you can just put it out there and see what happens. So that's what I did. I reached out to a really popular Facebook running group and I said, I have this idea for a documentary series. And the overall concept was find inspiring runners, but celebrate the fact that all of these people, uh, whoever they are, and no matter how incredible the sto- their story is or, or how mundane their story is, they are one of 50,000 people who run the New York City Marathon every year. Everybody who's doing it has a motivation. Everybody who's doing it has a story. And so all of these people are just another runner among the whole crowd. So that became the name of this documentary series. And then I thought, well, as I got into coaching, <laughs> what would a fitting name be? You know, I'm, I consider myself to be just another runner. How about just another running coach? Uh, again, I'm not claiming to have any groundbreaking scientific theory about training that will totally revolutionize the way that you do things. There's no shortcuts, you know, that I'm advertising. I'm really just uh, another coach who is using tried and true methods. And hopefully that's good enough for most people. (laughs) So you profile all these runners. And like you said, some of them may have like mundane stories or, but a lot of them have really inspiring stories, overcoming stories where they're dealing with debilitating diseases so and other challenges. Um, is there like a common thread that you've seen with what keeps these people motivated and how this then just goes on to, to impact the rest of their lives as far as just being able to deal with the challenges that life may throw at you? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so there are 10 videos so far. I've profiled 10 runners. And it's a, it's a pretty interesting mix of runners. And um, there are some who, like you said, have overcome, you know, literally death-defying odds. Case of, of a couple of runners who, you know, barely survived their illnesses. Um, and it's just, you know, it's breathtaking what they're able to achieve and how they're able to stay so positive and, and persevere and do what they do. And then there are other people who just are professionals. You know, we had a musician. There is an IT manager who had a really interesting story. A mom, just a working mom who, who um, you know, works in a law office. So there's all kinds of really interesting people out there. And this is just a small sample size of everybody. I would say having interviewed everybody personally and getting, gotten to know them as friends, by the way, outside of these uh, film shoots. I mean, all these people are my friends that I interact with, you know, on a somewhat regular basis. And I catch up with them at the races that we run together. I would say that they have all learned something similar to what I said before, which was, you know, no matter what life throws at you, it's holding on to some hope. And it's being able to be unafraid to lean on your community for support. So there are several runners who run with Achilles International, you know, which is an organization that pairs runners, athletes with disabilities, with guides. And that's a great example of people who are not just unafraid to rely on another person to help them meet their goals, but enthusiastic. It makes life so much richer, you know, for both parties, for the athletes and the guides, 
the guides have a blast doing what they do. It's not just, you know, oh, we're going to do some volunteer work so we can feel good about ourselves. No, these I see guides and athletes who have lifelong friendships and they hang out all the time. It's amazing. So I would say the number one thing is the running community itself tends to be the glue that keeps everybody together. And I think it kind of feeds back into that whole message of I'm just another runner. You're just another runner in this world of runners, in this greater running community, which is has this uh, sort of X factor that is hard to put into words, but it's just, it's so there, it's tangible. It just, it's the, like the oxygen we breathe. You can't separate the runner from the running community. It's just impossible. So that I think kind of answers my next question because I think some people assume that runners love running all the time and they never get demotivated or unmotivated. And that's simply not true. I mean, sometimes it's when you're in the depths of training and you're just exhausted or it's a pandemic or if you're dealing with an injury and you're out of it and it's hard to stay motivated to try to stay fit. How would you say it's the running community that keeps your passion alive and keeps you motivated or is it something else? I would say it's definitely the running community is at least a huge part of it, right? Because think of virtual racing as a concept. You know, if, if before the pandemic um, and before the Run Anyway marathon or Run Anyway as an organization existed where there was this idea of, well, it's not an official race, but let's just run anyway. Before that existed, people would have to really just find the motivation, whatever it was that they loved so much about running, whatever role it played in their lives to go out and just just do it. And you could say this sort of thing about any form of exercise, right? A good example is for me, it's with yoga. I like yoga. Yoga is fun when I'm doing it with my girlfriend, with a group. But if I'm just here at home (laughs) and I have the option to go for a run or do yoga, Even if the yoga is technically better for me that particular day, I'm always going to choose the run because there's something about, (laughs) glad we're on the same page about that. And also I'm terrible at yoga. So that's, that's another thing. But a lot of it is finding something that you love, something that is just so much fun to you. That's the number one thing. And so as a coach, I often tell people we can create a rigid training plan. And if you follow the training plan to a T, the odds are that it's going to go really well. But part of the challenge is following it to a T. And it's not that I'm underestimating anyone's ability to do it if they really, really were forced to. But is it fun? Does it take away from the fun factor of this this thing that we really love? And if it does, how can we find a way to make sure that that flame never goes out? And a lot of that is simply finding a group, finding a running group, joining a club, doing a virtual race, doing a challenge. And nowadays, a virtual race is just so um, common sense. It's a fun way for people to connect with other runners, even people they've never run with in person in their life from all over the world. It's a way to feel that you've established a connection. Look at our little community here at Runner Click Pro. And we've got runners from, from everywhere, from not just the U.S., but we've got runners from Bangalore, India. We've got runners from, you know, places where it's, it's amazing that uh, people are able to run in some of these climates. I've got to hand it to them. 
It's so cool, you know. I think that that has a huge hand in helping people find the motivation. But at the end of the day, it's important to to remember that, you know, if you're not motivated to run easy for six weeks in a row to build a base mileage, that's okay. Do what feels fun. Do what feels enjoyable. And I think that that's a huge part of it. It's community, but it's also finding that thing that really makes it fun for you. Yeah, I I agree 100% and finding that balance with doing what makes it fun with what your goals are because running does also require so much patience and like you said you can't rush the process and so if running easy for six weeks isn't fun but it's going to be even more wonderful at the end if you're patient um absolutely working through that. (laughs) And it can be so beneficial to your training too. I mean, thinking outside the box in this way of doing things that you wouldn't ordinarily do or plan for, you know, in a training plan. I I used to be a group run leader at my local Jackrabbit store. It was so much fun. It was so much fun for me to put on the sort of coaching hat before I got my certification. I was doing the, that's where I really found that I loved coaching um, in a symbolic way. And then I formally got my certification afterward. You know, we did so much so many silly things during our group runs that we wouldn't I would never ordinarily do in my own training. It was just so much fun and it got us to do the miles that we needed to do for our training. I never had so much fun doing a 20-mile long run. Training for the marathon as when we were doing it with a group at night. We would do weekly speed workouts with glow in the dark sticks and lights. For Valentine's Day, we handed out roses to random people in Central Park during our run. And these were, these were such fun ways. I dressed up as Santa Claus one year. I mean, <laughs> I did stuff I would never consider training. But that year, after doing all that silly stuff as part of this training, I ran my current PR at the New York City Marathon. I, I felt at first, mm, maybe am, am I sacrificing too much of myself here for the, the greater good of the running community? But in fact, actually, it, it was mutually beneficial. It just worked hand in hand with what I actually needed to do. And I found that I was able to get a mileage in that I was never able to do before because I was just having so much fun doing it. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. I was reading the other day um, about the Shalane effect. Have you heard <laughs> yeah. about this? Yeah. yeah, I mean, and it's like her training runs may not have been perfect because she was running with other people. But when Shalane decided to start running and training with other women, her fitness got that much better, even if she wasn't following the plan to a T, just because of the social aspect. Um, It just has this powerful effect on running. So it's that whole body connection that we keep talking about. Absolutely. Well, Evan, it has been so fun learning more about you and chatting with you and having you be our first guest on the podcast. Thank you so much. Can you tell everybody where they can find out more about your coaching and your films and find you on social media? Thank you so much for having me, Whitney. Uh, This has been really a pleasure and a lot of fun. And thank you for creating a comfortable environment for me to share my story. You know, I, I don't do it very often. And so I really, really appreciate it. Did an amazing job interviewing. So if people would like to find me, if they would like to see the Just Another Runner documentary series that I direct, uh, they can go to justanotherrunner.net. They can also find it on YouTube. Uh, the channel is called Just Another Runner. And there's a few channels with the name Just Another Runner, but you want to look for the one that the logo looks like a racing bib. And to find my coaching website, uh, it's justanotherunningcoach.com. 
And there you can find all my information about the plans that I offer, the rates, and a little bit more about me. Not that you need to know anything more after this. Thanks for listening to The Passionate Runner. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash TPR. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Thank you.